this is now our fifth week in our Tough Stuff series. And in this series, we've been talking about a number of culturally significant subjects, things that the culture has grabbed onto and that the culture really teaches and preaches and values and cherishes and promotes. And what we're doing is we're pausing to say, wait a second, what does God actually say about this subject or these subjects? What actually is God's heart on these matters? Because we don't want to just blindly follow what the culture is doing. Because when we do that, inevitably, inevitably there will come a day we'll look back and we'll say, oh, seems like we got off track with the Lord somewhere. Wonder what happened, right? We can't afford to do that. So that's why we're talking about this. And for the last few weeks, we've been camping out in the realm of sexuality. And I won't make you say it, don't worry. And uh, we are going to be today as well. Now, let me tell you, next week we're going to be moved on to different kinds of tough stuff. So you can breathe a collective sigh of relief. This is the last week on the sex and sexuality side of things. You're welcome. Um, anyway, again, it's been good. But the reason we've camped out and zeroed in on this area in particular is because sex and sexuality, these are some of the most prevalent areas where you can notice the gap between God and the culture, where God and the culture are not pulling in the same direction at all. So that's why extra attention needs to be given to this. See, because God says that sex and sexuality, these are sacred things. These are gifts. These are things that pertain to our worship of him. The world, the culture, on the other hand, says it's no big deal. Just do what you want. Do what makes you happy. As long as you're not hurting anybody else, it's all good. Go for it. You can see the, the incongruity there. So this is especially an area, sex and sexuality. We need to make doubly sure as God's people, we're not just being governed by what the world says, but we're being governed by the word of God and what God says. That is our heart. That is our focus. And today, as you may have heard, we're going to be talking about two things in particular. We're going to be talking about lust and we're going to be talking about pornography. Somebody says, I think I feel a cough developing in my chest and I kind <laughs> of excuse myself. <laughs> nice try. And these are not necessarily, these particular subjects are not necessarily like the strong, like large cultural, like who that we've seen the last couple of weeks. Like there are people in the world, non-Christians, who would say, eh, probably shouldn't last. There are non-believers who would say, eh, probably shouldn't use pornography. But the reason that this is tough stuff, the reason we're talking about this is, regardless of how anybody feels about these subjects, these are things that so, so, so many people are involved in and struggle with, including Christians. So we gotta talk about it. And one last thing before we get into the, the meat of this, I would just remind you and encourage you, the entire reason we're having this whole conversation, it's not just to make you uncomfortable, um, it's not just to be controversial, it's because God has a life for you. Say that to me, God has a life for you. And that life it is our utter conviction that that life is worth pursuing at all costs. It's a life of following and abiding in Jesus Christ in relationship with him and living life out of that place where we are in him and with him and walking with him and, and in his will. And it's a good life. It's a full life. It's an abundant, purposeful, meaningful, significant life. 
That is why we're talking about this. Because God has a life for you. He wants you to live it. I want you to live it. Your leaders want you to live it. We need to pursue it. It's all about Jesus. So we good? We ready to dive in? A couple of you are. The rest of you are going to get thrown in. That's okay. You're going to end up in the pool no matter what today. So here we go. First thing today is lust. Somebody say lust. Lust, I did a dictionary definition search on the internet for the word lust, and here's what I got. It says that lust is very strong sexual desire. And I read that, and I said, that's like partly true, but that's kind of an incomplete definition. It's got to be more than that, because we would read in the scriptures, as we'll see in a minute, that lust is wrong, but as we've talked about, very strong sexual desire is not automatically wrong. Um, we've talked about how God has a particular context for um, sex and sexuality. It's in the context of marriage between one man and one woman for life. And so very strong sexual desire isn't automatically by default wrong. We can take that many ways and make it wrong, but it's not automatically wrong. Now in the scriptures, the word lust or lusts or lusting, it appears 22 times. That's a fair bit of times, but even more than that, the concept is repeated throughout the whole Bible using different words, maybe longing or, or desiring or coveting or something like that. It's a very, very large concept in the scriptures, and it's repeated so that we will get it. It's repeated so that it will sink in up in here because I don't know about you sometimes my skull is quite thick and I need some extra repetition for it to sink in well that's what God is doing with us and the context for this concept of lust lusting it's almost always in relation to you having a desire for something that isn't yours something that someone that isn't yours Lust, we can therefore deduce, is very strong sexual desire for someone who is not your spouse. Again, that's, that's the, the confines, the, the, that's the context God has in mind for sexual expression. Anything outside of that, that very strong sexual desire, that, that gets into lust territory. Now, this will minister to somebody. If you're married, it's good to have very strong sexual desire for your spouse. You're welcome, moving on, okay? That is good, it needed to be said. But, but if you are married, for instance, and you are digging on somebody else, right? Now you're getting into lost territory. If you are single and you are inappropriately kind of into someone that way, and uh, we've talked a little bit, it's a bigger conversation, but for singles, like there is a... Uh, a godly, good, beneficial way to like grow in relationship with someone and God has for some people to be single and married or single, it's all good. We've talked about that. But if you are single and you're inappropriately kind of thinking about someone or, or going that route, like you're getting into lost territory. If you are consumed with passion and desire for like pornography usage, that's getting into lost territory. If you are checking someone out, if you are sexualizing them, if you are longing for them inappropriately, you are in the territory of lust. Even if there is no physical act that accompanies what might start in your mind, you've still crossed over into an area that is outside of God's desire for you, sexually speaking. And we're not going to ask for a show of hands, but I would hazard a guess if I were a betting man, which I am not, I would hazard a guess to say that lust is something we've all done. 
It's something that can be done so easily too. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. So you might not even mean to. You might not even set out to do it. But that's where our minds sometimes just go. They just go there quickly. And all of a sudden, you were fine, straight and narrow, and then boom, you're, you're into the lusting territory. That can happen, and it all happens, uh, it happens largely to all of us in different, different ways. So what is God's heart on lust? What does God say about it? I want to give you three lessons on lust. Three lessons on lust. Number one is this. Lust is dishonoring to God. It's dishonoring to God. And it is so for a couple of reasons. First of all, when you lust after someone else, you are sexualizing them. You are essentially looking at them and reducing them to a commodity or something for you to consume or something that's just there for your pleasure or your fulfillment or whatever. But you contrast that with what God says about people. Genesis 1.27, God made man and female in his own image after his likeness. This is a place of distinction and honor and respectability. And when you lust after someone, you're taking that dignified creation of God, as someone said last week, someone that Jesus died for, and you're reducing them to this space that is only just a piece of, remember we've talked about sexuality is not everything in our lives. We're more than just that. But when you lust, you're, you're boiling someone down in that moment, even if it's just for a second, into that small kind of category. Well, that's dishonoring to God and God's design and God's creation. Another reason that lust is dishonoring to God, and you'll have to track with me on this one, when you are lusting, when you are yearning hot for someone that you don't have, what you're doing is you're overlooking what you do have. So again, if you are married and you're lusting after someone else, you, you are forgetting the field that God has placed you in to work and to operate in. And when we do that, we fail to acknowledge and remember and give thanks for God's provision, right? Every good and perfect gift you have is from God. That would include your spouse. And when you are looking somewhere else, you're not focusing on what God has given you. God wants, to be, God wants you to be joyful and to give thanks in all circumstances, does he not? And so when you're lusting, you're kind of failing to do that. And when we get into that kind of a school of thought, into that kind of a practice, what happens is we say, well, I don't have that person. Again, this is how lust, it's just sinister in our minds. I don't have that person, but I think I should have them. God must not know what I need because I need that person. And so we start to fail to trust that God knows what he's doing. And it even snowballs from there. We start to say, God doesn't know what I want, but, but I know what I want. I must know better than God. It sounds ridiculous when I say it, but that is the track that our minds can take when we lust. It actually becomes an avenue for idolatry. It actually becomes another way that we try to take God off the throne in our lives and put ourselves there. Lust is dishonoring to God. That's why it says in 1 Peter 2.11 that we are to abstain from the passions of our flesh. That would include lust, which wage war against your souls. See that wage war language? Like, that paints a picture for you. That's what lust is. It's part of the war that is going on in and over your soul, which leads to number two. Lust is way more damaging than it appears. It never, ever, ever, ever seems like a big deal, right? So what? 
I was checking that person out. So what? They were in my thoughts. So what? I had some kind of a uh, desire for them. I'm not going to do anything about it. What's the big deal? We've all thought that. Here's where my mind went this week. I don't know why, but this is where my mind went this week. Something else that doesn't seem like a big deal. There's lots of examples we could say. How many of you know anything about asbestos? Right? That's very random, I know. Asbestos, you know, like as kind of a building material or not that you're going to build a wall out of it, but you use it in construction. It's an electrical insulator. It's got a really high uh, melting point. So 100 years ago or so, people started widely using asbestos when they would build buildings and all kinds of different things, ceiling tiles, insulation, whatever it is. A lot of older buildings are full of asbestos. People worked in asbestos factories and asbestos mines, and it was no big deal. It's this inanimate object. What's it going to hurt you? Well, it turns out it's incredibly harmful to humans. When you are exposed to asbestos for a long period of time and you breathe it in, the fibers go into your lungs and they can cause mesothelioma, there's your big word of the day, other cancers, all kinds of things. People have gotten really sick and have died because of prolonged exposure to asbestos, which never, ever, ever seems like a big deal because it's something that's stuck in the wall somewhere. Lust is kind of the same way. Never seems like a big deal, but the longer and the more you are exposed to it, it does damage that you might not even notice that it's doing damage to you, but it is. Lust trains you to look at people a certain way. When you just, when you just follow that trail of lust and you don't try to check that or, or stop that or curb it at all, eventually you're going to start seeing people and looking at people differently. That's harmful. Like it, it goes a bad direction there. Lust trains your body uh, and, and it, it, lust gives your body certain uh, responses and triggers when you do that. When you look at people, certain things can happen physiologically. Lust causes people to not be able to even enjoy relationships in a normal way. Oh, that's, I'll make this up. That's a coworker that I have and they should just be a desk mate, but now I'm looking at them a certain way. Like it messes things up. Lust, as I kind of mentioned, lust dulls the current relationship you might be in. So it says in Proverbs 5, we're to drink only from our own well. Um, lust is also super exhausting. You go down that road of lust, never satisfies. It's never enough. All of a sudden, you're doing it again and again and again and again. It's never enough. Where does it stop? Sometimes it doesn't. It just goes on and on and on. Even if you think, that's no big deal. It's a big deal. It says in Proverbs chapter 6, 27, it says, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Lust is fire. Lust is playing with fire. And you know the expression, when you play with fire, you are likely to get burned. That's the way it works. That is why Jesus took this so seriously. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, he said, even if you look at a woman lustfully, it is as though you've committed adultery with her in your heart. You say, those two things don't seem, uh, there's adultery and there's lust. They don't seem, you know, equal or whatever. But Jesus is saying, like, that's how damaging it can be. That's how much I don't want you to be involved in it. That's how serious it is. We can't, we can't as believers in Jesus Christ just play fast and loose with lust. It's bad. It's damaging. God does not want that for you. The third lesson on lust is that it begins internally 
and it can sometimes lead to other sins externally. 1 Corinthians 18, 6.18, we had this last week, it says that the sexually immoral person sins against his own body, right? We've talked about that. When you, when you are engaged in any kind of sexual immorality, you're sinning against your own self. That's quite foolish, but that's the way that it is. Sinning against yourself. But as you guys know, different kinds of sexual sin, uh, sexual immorality, these are not always things that are just internally to you. Sexual immorality, sexual sin can affect all kinds of people around you. I'll give you a couple examples from the scriptures and all across history, it's there too. Second Samuel chapter 11, if you read that chapter, that's the account of David and Bathsheba. You've probably heard of that. And I'll summarize, King David is up on the roof of his palace, he's looking around, and over across the way there's a woman bathing and she's evidently very beautiful and he's checking her out and he's interested and he inquires who is that I want to know more about that person and he sends for her there's actually no mention anywhere in there that that was consensual by the way it doesn't say yes or no but there it is she comes to him they sleep together she gets pregnant that all began with lust that all began with him. He's up on the roof and he saw her and he noticed her and he wanted to know more. Rather than fleeing from that, he just hung around. Let's see what happens here. And you know how that story ends. Again, he got her pregnant, extramarital affair, tried to cover it up. And when that didn't work, he had this woman's husband killed. Another example is in 2 Samuel chapter 13. One of King David's sons, his name was Amnon, and if you read that account, he was sick with love and with lust over someone named Tamar. Tamar was not for him. But he just went down that road and entertained thoughts and he just made himself so sick over her. And he essentially drove himself mad and it led to him doing her a great harm. That's, I guess, what I'll say about that. He, he did her wrong. And it all started with lust. Now, you have to understand, I'm not saying that every time you lust, it turns you automatically into like a violent offender and criminal. No, I'm not saying that that's what happens. But oftentimes, if you look at, at different examples, even through history, even people you might know, uh, things like affairs or sexual violence or abuse or even just the unwanted advances people make to other people. A lot of the time, those start from a place of lust and it grows from there. And it's such a strong force, lust is, that if you don't do something to curb it or, or to get out of it, it can lead you to do things that are so crazy, you never thought that you would ever do them. But, but when you fuel that fire, when you lust and continue on in it, there are people stronger than, this will sound like an insult, there are people that are stronger than you and I who have fallen prey to this. It's more of a warning than an insult, really. Um, but God does not want us involved in lust. And again, part of the reason is because it's sort of almost in some ways like a gateway kind of a sin that can lead to other sins. So when you hear instruction from God about lust, what you shouldn't hear is, oh, he, he wants to make me miserable. He wants to ruin my fun. He wants to control my life. He's manipulative. He's heavy-handed. He's a tyrant. He's whatever. No, actually, when you read and get into God's heart about lust, it's actually a reminder that he wants to protect you 
from other things. When you get into things about lust and, and the scriptures, it's a reminder that God is good, that God has good for you and a life for you. God has plans for you to prosper you and to give you a hope and a future and not to harm you. That is his heart about lust. He has a life for you and it does not involve that. It is better than that. Now, if you're a person that you say, well, I don't know, this is kind of hitting me a certain way. What am I supposed to do? We're going to talk about that later on. But what I want to do now is get into the next part uh, of what we're talking about today. By the way, I know it's heavy. Can we just take a breath together? Are you under- we just, we just, let's breathe in. Let's go. One more time. Okay. You guys are, I, I really appreciate your grace, um, for sure. The next thing we're going to talk about is pornography. This one's kind of a biggie. Um, and just for full disclosure, you guys know me well enough, you know that I'm not on any kind of a high horse or whatever, but just in case for some reason you've forgotten, um, this is not any kind of an area of grounds for boasting for anybody when we talk about this stuff. Remember we said way back in week one, we're not talking about this so we can get up on our high horses and look down at other people who might struggle. This is an area where I have struggled in my past. I'll be honest with you. Now God has done a work in me. God has changed me in this. This is not something that I struggle with anymore and I'll mention that again later. But uh, this one's pretty deeply personal to me. And I would again hazard a guess to say it probably is for some of you too. And we will go ahead and not take a show of hands again on that one. But pornography affects so many people. In case you have never heard or have forgotten what it is, the definition I found for this, pornography is visual or printed material that is sexually explicit. That about sums it up. And the idea is that you take or you use this visual or printed material that is sexually explicit and you use it for your own sexual expression sort of thing. I mean, there's different things, but that's generally how it works. And let it just be known today. Let the truth be known today. To engage with pornography in any sort of a fashion is to operate outside of God's will and God's plan and God's heart for you. Any excuse you might try to make of, oh, God's fine with this, it's not part of his plan. Pornography usage is sinful. It is not what God wants for you. Here's the problem with pornography. I mean, there are many. We, th- there is a pornography epidemic in our culture. That's not a surprise to anybody sitting in here. I guarantee it. An epidemic. We live, as we've talked about, in the midst of this sex-crazed culture. It's all over the place. You can't escape it. We're bombarded with stuff all the time. And then there's our ever-present sexual drive. And our hormones might be going crazy or whatever. And what pornography becomes really easily is an outlet for people. One of the major problems and issues about pornography is that it is very, very easily accessible. When you turn on the television, there is implied or borderline pornography all over there, even on the clean channels. Here's generally how TV works with anything. There's certain things you're allowed to do and say and show on TV. Okay, let's figure out where that line is and get as close to it as we possibly can. That's essentially what TV has become these days. Um, 
all over social media, different things like that too. And it's immediately accessible, pornography is on any kind of electronic device you have that's got a connection to the internet. It's right there. You don't even need to go to like one of those crazy stores to get it. You don't need to have some special device that you paid lots of money for. You, you don't even need to go on one of those sketchy websites where you're likely to get a virus. All you need is one of these. It's so easily accessible. There is so much around. You can even stumble onto it by accident. And that's gotten a lot of people tripped up over the years. And you might ask the question, okay, well, why is it so prevalent? Why is it so all over the place? I'll give you two reasons. The first one is that the pornography industry is a multi-billion dollar industry every single year. The, the figures are a little bit hard to track on this. I've seen figures as low as, as low as $12 billion a year. As low as, right? And I've seen them as high as almost $100 million billion a year. Just the pornography industry. And depending on what number you use, we're talking about more money than the NBA, the NFL, and Major League Baseball's revenue combined every single year. It's, it's, it's bananas. It's wild. And I don't mean this wrong, but the, the reality of it is, as long as there is somebody out there making money off this stuff, it's going to keep getting produced. It's going to be mass produced. There's no avoiding it. The second reason why it's so prevalent, perhaps the more spiritual reason, is that pornography is a tool of Satan that he uses. He uses our sinful nature and our sexual drive against us. And he uses pornography as something to trip us up and bring us down and catch us in a net. See, what happens with consistent pornography use is that it prevents people ultimately in the big picture for, from becoming better husbands or wives or worshipers. Satan is going to do everything that he can do to throw this stuff at us. That is why it is so prevalent. And I'm going to give you three pitfalls on pornography. But what I want to do is use one verse from Scripture to illustrate this. It's John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus said, the thief, that's Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I want you to think about that for a second. This is a sidebar. We're, we're talking about bigger than just pornography right now. You got to remember, friends, brothers and sisters, we're in a war. The war is raging all around us. Even if things are relatively peaceful in your life, you need to remember, like, we have an enemy. And you can see his agenda. He's not just trying to, like, cause you to have a bad day or bring a little confusion into your life. He is coming to steal and kill and destroy. And we need to be vigilant and we need to be diligent. And we know, like, we belong to Jesus and greater is he who lives in us than he who is in the world. Like, we don't have to fear this but we need to be aware of this. Satan probably takes great joy in the fact that we sometimes forget that there's a war going on and we let our guard down and he just comes and has his way in our lives. The fight is going all around us. One day he's gonna lose. Jesus is gonna win. We already know that. But in the meantime, we gotta stay on our guard. So he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So the first thing that pornography does is it steals. It steals. Again, this is an area where you might say, oh, it's not hurting me. Oh, it's hurting you. You just don't know that it's hurting you. 
And one of the ways that pornography hurts you is that it steals from you. If you use pornography, you are literally getting robbed. One thing that it robs is people's innocence. I came across a stat that absolutely infuriates me. I'm going to be honest with you. This is, this is, I read one stat that suggests that the average age that a young person is first exposed to pornography is 11 or 12 years old. That, that is, that is horrible. And that's the average, by the way. That means that some are younger. That is not the age for anybody to go down this road of just hyper-sexualization. That is not the place and the time. Matter of fact, it says in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 7, we're encouraged to do not awaken love before its time. Well, guess what? As we've talked about, God has a time and a place for that part of someone's life, the sexual expression part of their life, to be awakened. That's called marriage. And what pornography does is it comes along and tries to get that started years too early. Years and just miles out of place. It's another evidence of how pornography is, is a counterfeit of something that God has created that's good. It's an attempt to just hijack the system and the ways of God. And remember, he does it to steal and kill and destroy. He doesn't do it for your good. Pornography also steals satisfaction. See, that is the grand illusion of pornography usage. It offers you a quick sort of a high, if you will. I don't know if that's the exact right word, but let's just go with it. But it's fleeting. And the more you do it, the more fleeting it gets. And every time you think, oh, this will, again, it sounds crazy, but in our minds we think maybe this will be the time. It, it, it does what I need it to do. Guess what? Pornography never satisfies. It never delivers on what it promises to you. It promises you everything and it gives you nothing except for pain. This is where you see things like escalation start to come into place. There have been so many stories throughout the years of so-and-so started out with just a little bit of pornography usage here. And then very quickly, that wasn't enough. And so they needed to move on to different or more. And this is where you see more kind of um, intense forms of pornography being consumed. And guess what? That isn't enough either a lot of the time. And then it just moves on from there. And some of the worst things that have been done in this realm, in this context, have started from this place of it's just a little bit of pornography. It's not hurting me. It's not hurting anybody. This is the way it goes. Pornography steals. That would be bad enough if that was all it did, but the second thing it does, it kills. Remember we said the thief steals and kills and destroys? Pornography, one of his tools, does all three of those things. It kills. Pornography kills the will, for instance. Pornography can enslave people. You can literally get addicted to the stuff. I'm gonna get science-y on you for a minute, okay? Y'all know I'm not a science guy, uh, but I'm going to just bear with me now, okay? Our brain, the way we've been created, this is a good thing. This is the design of God. The way that we've been created is that our brains have a reward center. And when you do things, anything that is pleasing or pleasant or it's enjoyable or whatever, that brain center, that reward center rather, gets activated in your brain and a chemical called dopamine gets released. 
dopamine. It's kind of fun to say. Dopamine gets released and that elicits a powerful physiological response in your brain. Again, probably not the right word, but it sort of gives you some kind of a high. That's why, if I could just boil it down, as people, that's why we like to keep doing things that we like to do. Because that's the way that our brains are wired to respond and it's enjoyable and it's good for us. And that's a good thing. That's how God created us. It's good. The problem is pornography comes along and tries to manipulate that system tries to hijack the system. That's why I say you can literally become addicted to the stuff and it can kill the will. Even, you might even want to stop, but you can't. Here's what happens. More science now. Another part of our brain, we have an area in our brain known as the frontal cortex. That sounds really sciencey. That sounds like real. You start talking about the frontal cortex, you're going to sound real smart. <laughs> Just kidding. Frontal cortex in your brain acts as sort of a brake pedal, if you will. This is sort of the rational, logical part of your brain. And when you're doing something, that part of your brain is supposed to kick in and say, ah, probably a bad idea. Let's like pump the brakes. Let's stop this. Let's get out of this. That part of your brain gets overpowered and overshadowed by continual porn use. What happens is you end up, you can end up with a condition known as hypofrontality. There's a really big word for you. Hypofrontality. Hypo means there's not enough of, there's a deficiency of activity in that frontal part of your brain. Actually, I think that's why teenagers, people say the frontal lobe isn't fully developed. That's why they do some not smart things sometimes. That never happened to me as a teenager, but other teenagers. It didn't happen to you either. Anyway, what happens is essentially when you, when you program your system with pornography, it's as though it cuts the brake lines in your frontal cortex. You have no stopping mechanism and you just run wild with it because that reward center of your brain is really powerful. I came across a stat that suggested that over 200,000 people in the U.S., this is American, over 200,000 people in the U.S. are addicted to pornography. Not even just that they use it, they're addicted to it. I would also suggest that number's probably pretty low. It's probably quite a bit higher than that. But even take that as it is. Hundreds of thousands of people in one country addicted. And you guys know how addictions work. You're out of control. You can't stop. Even if you want to stop, it just goes and goes and goes. And it leaves a trail of destruction in your wake. The third thing that pornography does is it destroys. Steals and kills and destroys, right? It's a tool of Satan. It destroys in a couple of different ways. First of all, one of the things that pornography seeks to do, it, it seeks to destroy the ideals and the design of God. We talked about this already a little bit with lust, right? When you, when you engage in pornography use, you are reducing the person on the other end of that to a commodity, Right, they exist for your pleasure, for your whatever. Um, it's usually women, but not always. It definitely affects men too. And again, I will remind us of Genesis 127. God made male and female in his own image. Dignity, respectability, distinction. Well, pornography comes along and says, you're beneath me. I actually don't value you. You exist to serve me. You know what that is? That's prideful, that's arrogant, that's grievous to the heart of God. 
And whatever your reasons are for getting into it, that's the heart that this takes on. It's a prideful heart. It's a prideful posture. Therefore, pornography is yet another example, an instance of how Satan tries to destroy the design of God. God has it all mapped out in his mind how we're supposed to value and, and view one another and, and hold each other up, and pornography just totally undermines that. It destroys. Something else pornography destroys is marriage and families. And again, the stats are really hard to track on this because it's just kind of ambiguous in nature, but I read a stat that suggested that when pornography usage is there in a marriage, there is a 300% increase in the likelihood of marital infidelity. 300%. I would actually, you could make the argument that pornography use is a form of marital infidelity, but that's a whole other thing. 300%, it's a disproportionately high rate uh, that it can lead to. I read another stat that says 56% of American divorces, again, we're, it's American, include one party with an obsessive interest, and I quote, an obsessive interest in pornography. It's not like we're talking about of people that got a divorce, over half of them listed that. This, the other party has an obsessive interest in this stuff. You don't tell me that it doesn't destroy families and, and marriages. And what happens too is, as kids start to get older, and they get exposed to this, and they start engaging in it at a young age, and it carries on, what happens is that starts to warp the mind and, and mess up. There are all kinds of, and I, there are all kinds of young people completely messed up because they're rampant, just running rampant in pornography usage. It's not just young people, but there it is. One thing pornography does then is it, it extends that period of adolescence. You know about adolescence? It's that period where someone's not really a kid anymore, but they're not an adult either. We're not going to hand them the keys to the Ferrari and say, here you go. That period is supposed to be kind of fairly short. But what pornography does is it, it throws people into a rut and they're, they're engaging in illicit sexual activity for a long period of time and they're not rising up into, like for instance, growing up and getting married and taking responsibility. It's, no, I'm gonna stay in this and I'm gonna, it helps people just stay acting like kids when they're adults. That's, uh, th this is a huge generalization, but that's like one of the reasons you see like people living at home with their parents at 30 with nothing going on. This is sometimes a factor. And what happens is when people do decide, oh, I think I'll get married, and they come into that relationship with years and years of pornography use preceding it, well, they're bringing a whole bunch of baggage into a marriage, into a relationship. Don't you tell me that isn't going to make it difficult. Or that might ruin the relationship altogether. So it steals, it kills, and it destroys. So what are we supposed to do about it? That's the question. And this is where we're going to going to get good here now. It's been heavy, I know. What are we supposed to do? Like if you're hearing this, again, we're not going to take a poll or a show of hands, but if you're struggling in one of these areas, and we've seen this is not what God wants for you. We've seen the stuff that can happen in a life when we just run wild on this stuff. What am I supposed to do? If you have a little bit of lust once in a while, or maybe you are on the other extreme and you're someone who is full of lust, if you're someone that dabbles in pornography usage from time to time, or maybe you're someone that the hooks of pornography are just deep in you right now, or maybe you're someone who 
was a former user or whatever and, and you've gotten away from it and you're trying to still do the right thing and stay out of trouble, but, but God is tempting, or God is tempting, Satan is tempting you. The answer, what am I supposed to do with all of that is trust Jesus with your sexuality. Trust Jesus with your sexuality. It's the same answer we've seen for a few weeks now. Whatever the area of struggle is, give it to him. Don't run from him in that. That's what our sin and our shame tries to lead us to do. I gotta run, I gotta retreat, I gotta hide. No, when you trust in Jesus with your sexuality, your lust, your porn use, your temptation, whatever it is, that's when we start to see this right here. This is the same verse, the back half of the verse that says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, Jesus then says, but I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. You see the heart of God in that scripture. Satan comes to steal and kill and destroy and ruin everything. And Jesus comes along and says, I have a life for you. I have a life for you that's better than the trappings that Satan throws at you. That's better than the tide of the culture and the things that everybody struggles with. Trust Jesus with your sexuality. It is the only answer. And as we do this, we start to discover and experience more and more of this life that he has for you. It's a life of forgiveness, first of all, forgiveness from all of your sins, all of the things that you have done to, to grieve God and to wrong God and to hurt yourself and to hurt others. Jesus died on a cross to pay for your sin, all of your sin, so that you can be forgiven of it, so that you don't have to pay. Jesus, uh, he paid our debt of sin on the cross, so we don't have to pay it. Even huge, huge areas like this, Jesus died to cover over this for you. It's also a life of freedom. It's a life of joy. It's a life of peace. It's a life of hope. When you get to walk with Jesus and trust him and, and enjoy him and obey him and follow him in all areas of our life, that's been made possible through Jesus' resurrection. Not only did Jesus die, he rose. He proved that he's greater. He proved that he's stronger. And though Satan will throw the book at you and every trick in the book, Jesus is greater. Jesus is stronger. His resurrection from the grave has proven that. Don't you ever forget, Jesus is alive and that changes everything. That means everything. And he is able to redeem you and to heal you and to change you. I am testifying today that that is what he has done in my life. I am not the same person that I used to be in these areas. Jesus has done a work in me and he will do a work in your life as well. But you've got to trust him. You can't distance yourself from him. You can't say, oh, it's no big deal. I've got enough Jesus in my life. This is No, give it up, friends. Give it to him. For somebody today, I suspect the answer to all this is going to lie in repentance. Somebody say repentance. Make sure you're still with me. You guys know about the word repent. It means to turn around, turn away. I'm going this way. Well, now I'm going to do a 180 and start walking with Jesus. That's what repentance is. And repentance involves a couple of different things. We're winding down here now, by the way. To repent, you've got to confess your sin. 
you confess your sin, you admit your sin to Jesus. You say, look, here I am. Here's the stuff I'm dealing with, struggling with, wrestling with. I'm giving it up to you. Want me to tell you a little secret? He already knows it anyway. How foolish it must look to God when we try to like hide our sin over here in the corner. He's like, I see that. Don't play that with me. You confess it to him. Guess what? In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says that if we confess our sins... God is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. How much sin and unrighteousness is he going to cleanse us from? All of it, including this stuff. So if you lust, if you use pornography, if you struggle in some other area, it might not even be sexuality at all. Give it to him. Confess your sin to him because he wants to cleanse you and heal you and forgive you and change you. That's our Jesus. Repentance also involves walking away. You confess it and you walk away. And you know what a walk is made up of? Several steps, a whole series of steps. It might be a long journey, but you put one foot in front of the other. You say, Jesus, I'm trusting you. I I believe uh, that you are who you say you are and that you're calling me to this and that you're gonna strengthen me to do this. And you trust him and you keep your eyes on him and you walk with him. That might mean taking practical steps to get out of some of this stuff. Maybe you're caught in a web this morning. Part of walking away could involve praying for strength. God is able to strengthen you. He's able, as a matter of fact, to do more than you can ask or think or even imagine. I'll just remind you of that. And he can supply you with the strength to walk away from some of this stuff, from all of this stuff. You might need to take other steps, like surround yourself with other believers who can walk alongside you and and give you loving support and accountability through this. Maybe you need to like block certain sites on the internet. Maybe you need to unsubscribe from certain content that you get. Maybe you need to stop watching like certain TV shows that you watch, whatever it is. Trust Jesus with all of this. And the last thing I wanna say before we kind of move on this morning is that as we work through this stuff, my hope and my prayer is that we will get really, really, really good at showing grace to one another. You guys are already good at showing grace to each other. It's good, but my hope is that maybe someone, well, it's not that I hope that you're struggling, but I hope that if someone is struggling with any of this stuff, you might like, today might be the day you'll like tell somebody about it. Rather than running and hiding, you might like tell a brother or sister in Christ. You can tell me, you can tell one of the elders, we'll be hanging around. Tell someone in the church that you trust. Bring them into the fight with you and help. Uh, They'll help you. They'll walk beside you through it. Um, But as we do this, what I don't want you to do is if someone brings information like this to you, don't look down your nose. Don't get on your high horse. Love on them. Pray for them. Walk with them. We ought to show grace to one another as we walk through this crazy, crazy world, the crazy culture, all the crazy things that try to bring us down. God has grace for you. And we will be a church. We will be a house of showing grace to one another.